What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Beijing. The two sessions, or Lianghui, dominated this week's China news. We'll get to that in our interview section, but first, the news. China's king of tobacco, Chu Shijian, died on Tuesday. He was 91. The cause of death was not known. Chu, former president of Hongta Tobacco, was a businessman who was so committed to entrepreneurship that he didn't stop pursuing it even after the most trying time of his life, imprisonment. Born to a peasant family in 1928 in Yunnan province, Chu joined the army before holding odd jobs at farms, sugar factories, and wineries. In 1979, he was offered the job to lead a near-bankrupt cigarette factory in his hometown. During his 16 years in charge, Chu transformed the factory into the largest in Asia in the 80s and 90s. In 1995, the company rolled more than 1 billion cigarettes. The next year, Hongta, famous for its flagship brand Hill of Red Pagoda, reported 2.3 billion U.S. dollars in revenue. However, things took an unexpected and dramatic turn in 1999 when he was sentenced to life imprisonment on charges of corruption and embezzlement. He was 71. In prison, Chu developed a severe case of diabetes and was released on medical parole in early 2002. Instead of retiring, Chu embarked on a second career in orange farming. You hear about it all the time. 5G. What are some things you need to know about this upcoming super-fast mobile future? Here are a few things. One, 5G is coming. Currently, only five companies, Huawei, Ericsson, ZTE, Nokia, and Samsung, are able to fully provide products on 5G networks, but more will roll out soon. Two, mobile communications are entering the new gigabits era. Download peak rates are expected to reach 20 times the rate of 4G, that would allow the downloading of an HD film in just seconds. Three 5G phones and 5G networks are going to come out at the same time this time around. Compatible mobile phones usually lag behind the rollout of network infrastructure, but this time, 5G mobile models will have come out at the same time as 5G networks. 
Chip makers like Qualcomm have developed 5G chips and antenna components with a high level of integration, clearing the technology hurdles to make 5G phones. Many device manufacturers have already rolled out their 5G mobile phone models. China's three million qualified individual investors can now apply to trade stocks on the Nasdaq-style high-tech board, which will open for business in Shanghai by mid-year. The Shanghai Exchange said investors can add new board trading rights to their existing A-share trading accounts without filing additional paperwork or opening new accounts. The new high-tech board will focus on companies from the technology and other high-growth sectors like biotech, similar to the Nasdaq and New York. It would also mark a major shift from China's current existing boards by using a market-based registration system for new listings, aimed at shortening the current process that requires more time and major regulatory vetting. To trade on the new board, individuals must have had a daily average balance of at least $75,000 in their account and must also have a minimum of 24 months of experience trading securities. We've all been waiting for it, and now it's here. A communist hero-themed KFC planted in the middle of China. Legendary soldier Lei Feng, celebrated for his altruism, now has a fast-food chicken restaurant dedicated to his memory. Of course he does. The first location is in Changsha, the capital of central China's Hunan province, according to Xinhua. But Leifeng fever has only just begun. KFC said it will promote the Leifeng spirit in its more than 250 outlets in Hunan and encourage its staff to learn from the role model, it said. KFC itself is a bit of a legend in China. The American chain walked into a fast food desert three decades ago when it became the first foreign restaurant to sample the China market with its opening of a massive restaurant right at the edge of Tiananmen Square. Thanks in no small part to its entry to the market, including its status as the first Western chain on the Chinese mainland, KFC has grown to become the country's largest fast food operator. It currently has roughly 5,500 stores. Apple's latest iPhone models are being massively discounted in China for the second time this year as online retailers across the country struggle to move them. Alibaba's T-Mall will lower the price of almost all versions of the iPhone XR, iPhone XS, iPhone XS Max by between 180 and 300 US dollars. The 512GB version of the iPhone XS Max, the most expensive smartphone Apple released last year, will now cost $1,600 on Tmall. That's $300 less than Apple's official sale price in China. Apple's iPhone sales have been dragging in the world's largest smartphone market, largely due to the rise of cheaper but comparable alternatives from domestic smartphone makers such as Huawei and Xiaomi. China's Customs Bureau is holding thousands of Teslas at ports in China due, apparently, to misprinted labels on certain Model 3 vehicles. The hiccup is expected to be resolved soon and won't affect Model 3 sales, the company said. Tesla is investing heavily in China. It is currently building a multi-billion dollar factory in Shanghai. Tesla is investing heavily in China. It is currently building a multi-billion dollar factory in Shanghai to produce its electric vehicles. Nevertheless, it seems while Elon Musk can get a Tesla into outer space, he's having a little more trouble getting them into China. 
Just as mom and pop investors are eagerly jumping back into the stock market thanks to this year's dramatic turnaround, many major shareholders of listed companies are marching toward the exit door. So far this year, 350 listed companies in Shanghai and Shenzhen have given notice that a major shareholder will sell at least some of its shares in their companies, with 160 such notices issued since March 1st. A brokerage strategist said that investors should pay close attention to such disclosures from institutional investors, founders, and major shareholders because they know more about the companies they have invested in than the typical mom-and-pop stock picker. Thanks, Ada. This week, we are talking about the two big political meetings happening in Beijing, the Lianghui. And with us to chat about these meetings is none other than this podcast's co-producer, Tanner Brown, who is head of Breaking News at Caixin Global. Hey, Tanner. Hey, Kaiser. So the first week of the two sessions has ended, and there's a lot going on. Uh, what has transpired thus far? Yes, it's true. Um, there's a lot going on at the Lianghui, especially this week, which is the NPC portion, which is considered by many the more important portion because those are the legislatures. But in general, what this week is, or at least observers would say, and I think I agree, was that this isn't really a bunch of 3,000 legislatures getting legislators getting together to agree upon a bunch of policies. It's really the top-level government making a big event to announce its official stance on some important, largely economic issues. There's a lot to cover. There's a lot that they're talking about, but we don't have time to get into all that. So I think I can just give us some highlights. Sounds good. Uh, so first, give us the general overview. What did the NPC focus on? What you're looking at is the closing credits to the 30 years of extraordinary economic growth of the Chinese economy. Economic growth rate's probably not going to fall to one to two, three percent, but but it's it's weakening. So the way the government seems to be responding, according to what we've been hearing and according to the pronouncements at the Lianghui, is that they're really focusing on what are called pro-growth policies. And in this case, that really means taxes, reducing taxes, and expanding government spending. China's target for its GDP growth this year is a little bit lower than in previous years. And in fact, this is the first year they've given a range in a couple of years. I think it's been two to three years since they've given a range. The range in 2019 is 6 to 6.5% growth rate. This range has a benefit for the government. It gives them some degree of flexibility for policy maneuvers. Okay, so tax cuts is one prong of these pro-growth policies. Uh, dig a little deeper with the tax cuts. Um, how big, uh, who benefits from them, and what's the prognosis uh, for the impact that the cuts will have on, on economic growth? Right. So the government has announced a package of a 2 trillion yuan, that's about $300 billion, in total tax cuts and fees cuts for businesses. There's a couple things to know about that. So, so what does that big number mean? There's a couple things to know. One, it means it's targeted to help businesses, to reduce the burden on businesses. And these are particularly targeted at private businesses, smaller businesses, to some degree foreign businesses, to a lesser degree state-owned enterprises. And this 2 billion yuan is a bit higher than analysts had expected. I think the estimates I had seen last few months or last year were 1.3 trillion, 1.4 trillion, something like that. So 
this is higher than we thought, which may reflect deeper concern from the government that they need to do something more to stimulate business growth. A, a bit of a side note on the government's policy to alleviate employers' burden is a potential reduction in Social Security contributions made by companies. So I think for a lot of people who follow social issues in China, this could have potential implications, which means less money is going towards Social Security-related welfare, the myriad things China applies its Social Security um, fiscal income towards. Oh, great. So there's also some fiscal spending that's intended to stimulate growth. Uh, where is this going? Uh, yes, there's a series of announced plans for the government to spend money to stimulate certain sectors of the economy. Those include rail-related things like logistics, aviation, civil aviation, what they're calling information infrastructure. So there'd be internet, communication, etc. So those are areas that you see that one might surmise that these are areas that China both sees as areas to stimulate growth, but also areas that could be of political benefit to the country. Uh, it, it's, it's important to note that these are increases from the previous year. The investment budget for the, the entire government investment budget is up by about 40 billion yuan from the previous year. This includes an increase in local government special bonds. So although there has been tightening on the way local governments issue bonds and oversight there, they're still hoping that there'll be a lot of spending at the local level that will create economic activity at a more grassroots level. But finally, as, as another sort of devil's advocate or, or a caveat, a lot of analysts are saying that these policies are prolonging or in some way exacerbate the government's debt problem that sort of hangs in the wings and, you know, will swoop onto center stage eventually. So that's sort of your week in the Lianghui. I can't tell you what the delegates have had for lunch. I can't tell you what games they're playing on their phones and they're pretending to be listening to work reports. And I can't tell you if China's policy prescriptions will work. We'll see, and we shall report back to you later. Well, thanks, Hannah, for this overview, and we'll talk to you again at the end of the thing. Anytime, Kaiser. Talk to you soon. And that's this week's show. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Syndicate Business Brief is powered by SupChina and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Tanner Brown with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Be sure to check out all the other shows about contemporary China in the expanding Seneca network. And be sure to follow the news from China every day at SupChina. Subscribe to our newsletter at subchina.com. Take care. <laughs>